0: Welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. I am your host, Allison Ferguson. How exciting. We are into season number two and our 13th episode. As you may know by now, this podcast is an inspirational tool and illustrates through an athlete's eye how beneficial sports can be throughout life. We hear from our interviewees how sports builds confidence, and that through working together as a team, we can achieve great things. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Robin Farina, a former professional cyclist who has transformed her cycling career and love of sports into full-time endurance coaching. Robin will share some insights on her coaching methods to help us all in achieving our goals. Robin also loves travel, food, and wine, a great combination, and she has incorporated bike and wine tours to cycling-centric places around the world. Robin truly embodies all of the attributes we acquire from sports. Robin, welcome to Empowering Women Through Sports. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to hear hear some stories. <laughs>
1: <Gosh>. <laughs> That's funny.
0: <laughs> I've got some stories. <laughs> well, all right. What I'd, I'd like to do then is just kind of Kind of start from the beginning, you know, in your life, you really didn't set out as a cyclist. You were, you are an all-around athlete. And what were some of the sports you did growing up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say I was an athlete ever since I was like five years old. I mean, I'm the oldest of three girls, and so we lived in a a suburb of Nashville, Tennessee, a little place called Hendersonville. And you know, I remember being enrolled in um, in soccer first thing at like five, and it was all boys. So <laughs> I think that's really kind of where I got my competitiveness was like playing on a soccer league with all boys for the first, like probably three, four years of my athletic life. So I'm, I, I ended up playing like volleyball, tennis, um, basketball, all in high school until I tore my ACL playing soccer my freshman year. And mm-hmm. then, then I kind of moved away from soccer just because I just felt like it wasn't really a sport I could come back to after that injury. ACL tears were relatively new at the time for women and, and women in sports. So, you know, I was only like 14 years old. So they were still trying to figure out like how to deal with it. Now, I mean, it's pretty common, widespread. There's a lot of ways to like work through it in physical therapy. But at that time, and, you know, in Nashville, there weren't a lot of athletes that like really had experienced it yet. So ultimately that injury kind of like changed my projection of through sports. And kind of how I got into the bike. Right. So that was a bit
0: of a bounce back. The bike was a suggestion by a doctor to, and this is how you're going to get stronger again.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I continued to play sports and I actually went and played volleyball and tennis at a small school for a year and then just felt like I really wanted to like have more of a college experience. I kind of got burned out with sports, but I always knew that sports were my love. You know, it taught me so much about communication, teamwork, like how to deal with adversity you know, and overcoming injury early on when, you know, you're like, I don't know, how do I keep going past this? So yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, that injury springboarded me into learning that I had to adapt to a different type of sport. And I was in my early twenties. I had went to the University of Tennessee, gotten a degree in sport management, which was very up the alley. Like I always felt like I was either gonna like run a team, manage something, you know, manage a team or be in some kind of sporting athletics. To me, it really didn't matter the sport so much. It was just more that I could be part of that, something bigger than than just me, right? And so, yeah, I had a doctor. Like, I, I think I re-tore my knee playing like flag football, corporate flag football, and had to go see a doctor. And he was like, really, you have you have two choices to like figure out, you know, or, or to to enjoy sports again. And that's swimming and cycling. And neither one were a sport that I played growing up. And so I really felt like... <laughs> Swimming was not an option just because it didn't sound fun. You know, you're not going anywhere. You're looking at a black line in the bottom of a pool. <laughs> so I felt like cycling was like what I had to choose from. So luckily Nashville at the time didn't have a huge cycling community, but it had a small, cohesive cycling community. And they ended up being, again, mostly men. <laughs> you know, I think I was only like, there's only like four women racing in, in Nashville at the time, you know? So I just kind of like went to a local bike shop and got some really good help and some advice and picked up a bike and really just like never looked back, just started getting into some local racing and just loved it so much. Cause I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, like being on a bike, you can push as hard as you want. You know, there is definitely some team dynamics that happen with cycling at a higher level, but at the beginning, it's just you and the bike. And it's really you understanding so much more about yourself and like how hard you can push and, you know, just seeing, seeing everything out there. You know, for me, it was like a little bit of freedom, not being in a car and getting to ride and go to all these cool places.
0: The kind of cycling you're talking about though, it's, it's not just riding a bike. I mean, you're on these, they're teeny tiny tires. You're going sometimes downhill, 50 plus miles an hour, 60, whatever. It's freaking scary. Make (laughs) it sound like, Oh, I'm going to go look at some beautiful sights. I mean, look at the tour de France right now. Yeah. It's gnarly.
1: The tour this year is really gnarly. They've had one of the biggest dropout rates ever because of crashing. And, you know, I mean, who knows what the real reason is, but yeah, I mean, cycling is dangerous. It's, it's high risk. You know, you are entrusting your, your life with a, a bike that's been put together by hopefully somebody else. And then you have these tiny little tires and yeah the roads I mean where I live now out in Nevada City, California, the roads are windy and you know a lot of tight turns and descents. It's really thrilling though I mean that's at the end of the day I think that's what kept me coming back to cycling was like the thrill of it, the speed, just the enjoyment of again it being like hard and having to like push through something that was just like not your normal thing.
0: And how does teamwork on a cycling in a cycling race how does teamwork? uh, show itself?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question and it, it does show itself in different ways. I mean, like on a mountain bike, you know, it's a little different because you're really racing against the clock. You could have teammates and there might be some team tactics involved, but really it's just like you racing the course and the clock. And then in road cycling, it's completely different because, you know, you have different roles. Everybody on the team has a role, right? And so the team works for, you're ultimately looking to win the race, right? And how do you win the race? You win the race by different people showing up in different ways and working for a leader of the team. And so, you know, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because my role was never like the, maybe to be the ultimate winner of the race, but my role had always been like more of a leader on the road, like getting everybody to like come and, and put up their best foot forward on every day you know, using teamwork as in like maybe early attack or bringing back another team's attack. And so there's like so many different dynamics. Like I talk about how teamwork comes into play in cycling, but really it's about pulling people together at the right time to make the right decisions and getting them to use their best um, effort for the day to win the race.
0: So you might be the one that charges, pulls everyone ahead, wear them out. They're all drafting off of you. They're trying to get, then they have to push really hard to get ahead of you and then they're tired by then, which gives what the the next person on your team, the
1: chance to. Yeah. It's like a cat and mouse game. Kind of you're, you never know who is going to put a move in and you never know who's going. I mean, you kind of do know, like in a tour de France where it's a, a long 21 day race and there's a clear leader on the team, you know, we're all going to work for that person. But you know, the difference in like one day races or shorter stage races that anybody can have a great day on any given day. And really it takes like, again, it takes like a leader of the team, or it takes people coming together and recognizing that it's this person's day and we need to put all our efforts into that so that that person can do their job at the end and sprint or be in a break or you know, win from, win from a smaller group or win on top of a long climb because the, it ends on a a climb and not everybody's going to be the best climber. So it's a lot of strategy. And that was like part of why I loved cycling so much is because it's not only is it hard and it's, it is physically challenging, but it's also mentally challenging. And I loved like trying to figure out, you know, what our team could do today to beat other teams and using their strengths and just like understanding, you know, where people's headspace is that day. And that's, that is probably more challenging. Well, I'm not going to say it's more challenging than the physical part, but it is definitely equally challenging sometimes.
0: Well, right. I mean, as athletes, many of us know that we need to train physically, improve fitness, strength, and physical skills, but how do we train mentally to become better competitors?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I've always, I mean, as a coach, I've been coaching for almost 18 years now. And, you know, the physical training is definitely an important part, but I always talk about it as a piece of pie or a a whole pie. And you can't just have one piece, right? You've got to like fill in the whole pie. And so, like, the mental training is just as important as the physical training. The physical training is just as important as the nutrition. And then the nutrition is just as, as important as being prepared. So it's like all of these things are equally important. You can have someone who's very talented and very strong but if they don't understand the other pieces or they don't eat and drink during the race then they could find themselves at the back of the race and and just as quickly as they got to the front. So, you know, for mental training for me was always about being prepared. And I always took that first step back and said like if I'm going to go into a race or if I'm going to go into an event or a training block, I need to know what that means. So, for me it was always like what races are we targeting? I didn't really have the the luxury to just pick like one race. This is going to be my A race. I had to be shooting on all cylinders most of the time. So for me, it was about maintaining consistency throughout the year. Yes, I could have a, a great race one and maybe not as good as the other, but I needed to always be able to be at the front and to chase things down and to be there for my the rest of my team. So for me, it was always like coming into the season, I needed to know what were the races I was doing? What were the courses like? How much climbing was in the courses? How long were the races? So it really mental training for me means like the details and knowing what the details of each race are, the components of that. And then also like for me mentally, it's like not becoming emotional. And that is something probably I learned later in my career rather than like early on, because I feel like I'm a pretty I was an emotional racer at the time, maybe early. And then I learned like, I've got to control emotions. And then when I can take my emotions out of it and stick to the plan, it becomes very clear what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And then if you can maintain that, keeping your emotions in check, then nine times out of 10, you can react with a a level, calm head. And so that was like a huge part of my mental training was, you know, like some people use visualization and I use visualization on a lot of things like, some of the races, my best races were things that I had thought out and seen and like dreamt about, you know, pictured in my head, how this was going to play out. And if it did, what would I do? And those things, I think visualization is really important, but for my personality, it was like, how do I keep emotionally stable and not like let one person or a writer or something that happened that I can't control take over. And so that's what I've really been kind of teaching my athletes over the past probably 5 7 years is controlling emotions is probably one of the most important things that you can do mentally. And being in shape uh
0: if you're not in shape and you get tired your brain goes away and you can't control anything.
1: Yeah, because you go into a deep dark place. <laughs> you're just suffering and you're, you know, it's survival instead of like being able to call the shots that actually like win races or make things happen.
0: Right, Where you know, I should that little air quote word that we all hate to use, but you know I should be able to you know, crush this person or beat this person, or I'm in better shape or I'm this or that, but if you're not mentally focused and you, on your plan, then those are the emotions that come in to to take away from from your goal, from your plan,
1: yeah, and absolutely, and and not only my emotions, it's I've paid attention to a lot of other teammates and their drama or their emotions like leading into a race and like how they handle stress and like how they handle what's coming up. And later in my career, I would sit back and watch the drama around (laughs) and watch people waste a lot of energy and effort worrying or stressing about things that could have been controlled if they would have planned a little better, been prepared, had more attention to detail I mean, half of it is just showing up prepared and like knowing this is what I have to do instead of being taken, you know, by surprise, you know, and then having to like deal with that on the fly. So I remember, you know, when you talk about stories, it's like, I remember sitting around right before, like in a race, you all sit around in a circle, you know, you're getting ready, you're putting on your gear, you're coming up with your team plan, you're talking about it. And I would, I'm not going to name names, but, but I remember specifically there was one racer and she was a great sprinter. She still is. She still races, but she would just get so nervous and talk and, you know, walk around fidget. And it was just like, wow, that is like so much energy wasted when you could just like sit down there, close your eyes maybe, and just think about what you got to do. So huh. that was always something I, I started to do later. Like probably in the last five years when I, before I retired was like, just stop it you know, don't worry about where the safety pins are, where my number, you know, have all those things in check. So then you can just show up and be, have the calm before the storm, I guess you would say. And just be present. Be present. Yeah. And not worry about anything else. I mean, you know, in that moment, you are there to race your bike. What else are you going to do? Nothing. (laughs) You've got a job at hand, you know, and it's time to perform.
0: Well, a lot of that is experience too. You know, if, if you have all those years of experience, you. You kind of, you've been through the drill enough to be able to.
1: Yeah. Know. But I think it's also a valuable lesson to start teaching athletes early. You know, it's like, don't get caught up in all that. You know, that's where, you know, the visualization part comes into play. Like finding music, you know, that you can tune things out to. And really just like, I mean, we always have like a no phone rule right before the race where you put your phones away. So you're not on social media. You're not texting, you know. They're not sending out emails and that you could just be present with this race, what we're about to do instead of being distracted, you know, and having to pull it back, which I always thought was great. It's like, let's just be here with your teammates, with the people you're about to race with. So you can hear the concerns or hear what, you know, what the plan is. So, you know, when the gun starts, you know what to do. No,
0: that's awesome. Did you ever crash?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I think crashing, it just comes with it. You know, unfortunately I've got probably some gravel still in a couple in my (laughs) hips, you know, I've got some scars. Luckily, you know, I was, I've never had like a concussion that I'm aware of. You know, I was always very lucky. I think, you know, I I, I think it's luck. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure some of it is by handling and experience, but yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of times where you're stuck in a crash because it's happening around you or it happened, you know, right next to you and you get taken out. And, you know, sometimes you do the taking out of everybody. I've done that before, but I mean, you know, most of it, most of the time it can be superficial and it's just like, you're, you're losing skin. I mean, I I definitely think I've broken an elbow or two and it's taken. So now every time I can't do like a forearm plank or, you know, sometimes if I hit my elbow just wrong, it's like terrible pain just from like landing on your elbows, but Yeah, I mean, crashes are just part of it. And like I said, most of them, most of the time, they're superficial, you know, and you just get up, you make it to the end of the race, and then you deal with it once you're at the finish line. You scrape out all the gravel and the dirt and move forward. But I feel, yeah, I feel fortunate because I had, I did race for a long time. I had a long career, and I could say, you know, I had a bad crash or two, but nothing that was sport ending for me or career ending, you know, I, 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 retired from cycling in my own time. You know, I was ready to, to be off the road as much. It's a, it's a hard lifestyle. I mean, you're traveling eight months of the year and you're traveling every week or every other week you're in a different place, you know, and women's cycling, unfortunately was not as uh, supported or didn't have the finances of the men's Peloton or men's professional racing. So a lot of times we would stay at host housing, which was so nice for families to like take us in. But a lot of times you're sleeping in like either a blow up mattress or a futon, or maybe you're sharing a bed with a teammate, which is just weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think so. You know I mean? It's like, how can you sleep well with your, when you're sleeping with someone else that you normally don't sleep with or, you know, just random things. So, you know, when you come off the road at the end of the season, you're exhausted. All you want to be is home you get home and then you're like, man, I kind of want to be back on the road again, doing my thing. But at a certain point, it just like, it all builds up and you're like, I I just have to stop because you've been flying all over for years. And it's like, and what happens is the years just like they tick by, but they're on autopilot. So you exactly, you know, just about when your season's going to wrap up, you know, you're going to take a couple of weeks off the bike and rest or reset, and then you're going to get right back into training. And then you're going to leave in January. And it's like this very cyclical situation. And it does become exhausting after a long time, you know, especially if you've maybe reached your goals, you feel content with what you've done in the sport. And then you're just like, okay, I know it's time for me to uh, move on. But luckily, you know, at the end of my career, gravel was becoming gravel racing, gravel riding was becoming such a hot, thing that like I got into gravel racing before I actually finished road racing and it was like the the new frontier you know all these gravel races were popping up
0: sidebar here about gravel biking it's becoming very popular in the cycling world gravel riding is a combination of road cycling and mountain biking the roads are usually non-technical wider dirt or gravel roads which are found outside of a city and away from traffic Gravel racing is grueling, which might be why Robin likes it so much.
1: Yeah, and the great thing about those were it was like, you were racing against everybody. You know, you weren't just racing women. You're racing the guys, the, everybody. And it, it almost became like a harder level of racing than professional women's racing because all of a sudden you were forced to like push even harder because we were racing men. And they, you know, it, the goal was like, stick with this group as long as I can. I mean, talk about mentally tough. Some of my hardest rides, races were these gravel races that were a hundred miles long, 10,000 feet of climbing, which was rare to have that in a road race. You know, we would have multiple days of hard, hard racing, you know, or or it'd be shorter and more intense, but like, you know, a, a six hour, seven hour gravel ride in the middle of nowhere with elevation, becomes kind of quite daunting. And then, you know, you really have to figure out what you're made of because you're in the middle of nowhere with probably not a whole lot of food or water. And you've got, you're on a climb for an hour, hour and a half. And now I see why that's become the rage because it's really pushing people beyond their limits or beyond what they thought they could do when they first got into cycling. A criterium race is very hard, right? It's like NASCAR on a bike. You're doing circles, but it's only an hour. And I'm like, you could do anything for an hour, but put yourself out there at 120 miles or you get delirious and you start to question your sanity. (laughs) But it's also very, uh, I think it's appealing for people who are really trying to like test, test their limits, push themselves. Well, that digging deep and then
0: succeeding through that, that's got to really make you feel, build your confidence and
1: make you feel really good yeah, it's accomplishment. You know, it's like you can, those are the things you go home and you brag to your friends about, (laughs) which is also important. And in the sport of cycling, there is a lot of that. (laughs) Well, yeah. Sports. (laughs) Yeah. It's sports. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's competitive. Yeah. There's a reason why people do it. (laughs) Addictive. Yeah. Yeah. Totally.
0: Well, that's great. Well, I love the progression of the professional cycling and now you started your Rofa Endurance your yeah. uh, your Rofa Endurance company and these fitness programs and all that how scary was that
1: to start was that like how did that all come about well really it was uh, it was never scary because i knew my coaching business has taken different forms you know like when i first started racing and traveling on the road i realized very quickly that i needed a second income or a third income you know i was like doing some work on the side. I was executive assistant for people, you know, I was trying to make it work and juggle and train. I started working for a couple coaching businesses as a coach, and working under head coaches and taking on clients so I could work on the road. We were all over the place. So what I did need was internet and a computer and I could write training plans for people. I could take phone calls with clients, you know, and basically teaching other people how to ride bikes properly with strategic training And then, like, also coaching them for events, talking them through what they should do at this race. And so that became like super appealing because I could do it from anywhere. And then, you know, in in 2008, I'd settled in North Carolina and I opened up a bike shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Mm -hmm. that became like home base for my coaching business. All of a sudden, there was like people walking through the door wanting to not only buy a bike, but then understand how to train properly. And we had a trainer Center with about eight bikes and we would have classes all day running these training programs. You know, this is what you're going to do today. And they'd come back in two days and do another training plan. So it became like a hot spot for me just to have all my clients in one, one place where they could physically like work out with me or I could see what they're doing. And so my coaching business really boomed like 2008 through 13, those five years I was in Charlotte. And then when I came out to California, because I really just felt like I wanted to, to finish off my career out here. I loved, always loved California. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. I was a Southern girl, you know, like I just got tired of, of being in the South and really wanted to change. And I wanted to, to ride out here really is what I wanted. I wanted to ride where it was like the places I had done training camps where I had seen like big mountains, which, you know, North Carolina does have big mountains, but it was just like a change of pace and a change of community so I came out to California and then I just kept my remote coaching business. Wherever I would travel to, to race, I would put on clinics with people who wanted coaching. So I would pick up coaching clients all over the country. So if I was in Tulsa for a week, I would pick up clients, you know, we do clinics and then I would coach them the rest of the year. And now it's great because I have pockets of athletes all over the country. And then I have, I have a couple coaches that work for me and coach in different areas as well. So it became this like high touch, high reach kind of business that I could handle and manage when I was traveling and racing. And so it became crucial because, you know, again, like even in my best years of cycling, it wasn't like I was ever getting rich (laughs) or ever making like enough to really save, you know, and put away money for retirement. I mean, that was, that's kind of unheard of, you know, and it still is. And it's, it's probably still one of the biggest problems is like, there's no security There's no security with your contracts. There's no, you know, path for like saving money and putting it away once you're retired. You know, I would say probably 90% of the women racing professionally probably have another profession that they're working side by side, somehow figuring out how to travel, keep a family, keep a job. That was probably like the, the most disheartening part of the whole thing is like, you can't make a real living, you know, just being a professional at being at the top of your sport, it's still hard to make enough money to pay your bills and to like, even I mean buy a house. That would be crazy to think that you could do that. <laughs>
0: well, and it's not the same for the men. The money is there for them.
1: I think in the past it was more so. And I think now it's becoming harder really for, for men to make good salaries and cycling. It, it seems like, you know, the past couple years has been more difficult with sponsorship. You have the, the you know, the Euro pro high pro level teams, they're making good money, right? Like the people you see in the Tour de France, they're all taken care of just fine. And then you have everybody else who are more like national racers, or maybe just staying, you know, nationally and not racing all over the world. And then they're probably struggling because I find it's just like, you know, it's all the reasons smaller sports stay small and big sports thrive is because of TV coverage, you know, exposure, sponsorship dollars all those things contribute to salaries and if if you're not on TV if you're not getting airtime sponsors don't necessarily want to invest so it's this catch 22 of like how do we get there but then how do you attract sponsors that want to pay the big dollars for something for the future or with the hope that it's going to be on TV
0: The Tour de France is the most famous race in cycling In July 2022, there will finally be a Tour de France for women. It's called Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. Femme is French for women, and Zwift is a global online fitness platform and is the presenting sponsor. This is so exciting for professional women's cycling. They will ride the same challenging routes and steep climbs in France as the men's tour, and they'll use strategy and teamwork to earn that iconic yellow jersey awarded to the daily winner and hopefully this event will help boost the exposure of women's pro cycling. Is there a the Rofa training method that you can share?
1: Yeah, I mean I definitely have a philosophy. My philosophy is balance, you know. I try to live and coach a well-balanced life. I mean, that has always been kind of like how I've operated is like knowing that yes, you can be super focused and super, you know, in your sport and working hard, but you've got to have the other pieces of the pie, right? You got to have that balance. And that means, you know, you got to have something outside your sport because what if it all went away, you know, what would you do? So that's where that whole balance thing comes into play. You know, it's, it's about being mentally tough. It's about understanding nutrition. It's about, you know, does this make you happy? You know, once it becomes not, fun or it becomes too serious to the point where you take yourself too seriously, then, you know, I think, I think it's ran its course and maybe it's not the right sport. So, you know, I don't just coach cycling. I coach triathlon. I coach running. And these days at sweat studio where I work now, it's all about like, how do we coach balance for people? You know, we love it when people come in here and work hard, but we also need them to understand that they've got to fuel their body with the right food you know, they've got to take care of themselves, get sleep, recovery. Recovery is so huge. People tend to bypass that. They're like, I can just push, push, push until you can't push anymore and you've run yourself into the ground. So my philosophy, kind of my philosophy in life is like, it's got to be well-balanced, right? Because if you, if you're missing one link, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for the long haul for longevity. For me, it's about the health piece. That's why I play sports, that's why I'm athletic, that's why I work out is because I want to be healthy because if you don't have your health you don't have anything.
0: I love it. Yeah. When you were racing and you would go through these gorgeous towns wherever you were in the world but your head's down though really you can't really like enjoy the scenery so you decided to start events and programs where you would bring people with you. Tell me a little bit about that. Now that sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, I think it was the year I finally said I'm retiring from cycling, professional cycling, but I was like, I'm not ready to be done riding my bike. And I feel like I did not get to experience some of the places that I went to. So I decided to build a a touring business, a coaching touring business. I already had the coaching business. So I had this like kind of uh, contained audience and a lot of them had never gone to places Most people didn't, A, know how to get to where they were going or didn't know where they should go to go ride their bikes. And so I felt very, I guess, fortunate that I had gotten to experience some of these places. And, you know, some of the places that stuck in my head is like the places I loved was, you know, going to Italy and racing in in Northern Italy, racing in Tuscany, going to France, getting to see some of the iconic climbs of the tour, um, I didn't really get to race in Spain so much but I I knew it was a place I wanted to go so you know Mallorca is like a cycling heaven people go there all the time it's like all the Europeans go to Mallorca in early spring and fall and catch the beautiful weather and the insane climbs and the the ocean and it's like this just beautiful place so my first year of retirement I you know go to this big uh trade show it's called Interbike and I you know, meet some people who are in the touring business. And I was like, I want to take a group. I actually, I think I said, I want to go, <laughs> I want to go to the Tour de France, you know, because A, there was no women's Tour de France to race in. And there was, you know, you're always racing. So it's not like you really experience any of these things. So I'd always watched how magical the tour was on TV, but I never got to experience. My goal is to go see the Tour de France. And I've got to figure out how to, how to do this, you know, coming off of racing. It's not like I'd saved a bunch of money or like, had a bunch of money. So I was like, I got to be smart about this. I'm going to make a business and I'm going to take people with me. We're going to ride our bikes. We're going to go experience the tour. And so that kind of kicked it off. I found someone who knew someone who had a chateau in the Pyrenees. We stayed in the Pyrenees for a week at this chateau. We went and did all the rides, watched the tour come through, climbed one of the epic climbs, went to the VIP tent after the tour, got to, you know, schmooze with all the people, get all the swag. And so I knew after that, I was like, I got to keep this going. And so I think that following year, I did Italy and I did Tuscany in the spring. We did the tour again. And then I think we did Mallorca in the fall. So it became like a, a very viable business, you know, taking 12, 14 people over, experiencing the cuisine, the local cuisine, the local wine, and then getting up and writing every day. We're doing an epic day every day maybe not epic some people had the choice not to you know there's always a short loop and a long loop but most people because they're on vacation they're like we're going to ride and then we're going to eat and drink for the evening and then repeat as many days as we can because this is the life but for me it's about finding a you know small village town where you can make it your own home for a week week and a half we get to know people the locals you know we have a chef i go out because i'm into wine pretty seriously. And I go out and I search out like, what's the local wine and try to figure out how we're going to pair that with our dinners. Or we're going to go to restaurants that have good wine and food pairings. And it becomes super important in our, and our campers. I call them campers, even though we're not camping, they just love it. Yeah. <laughs> love it. It's, it's a dream. I mean, it's really like experiencing the best. So, and is that gravel so, biking or is it road biking? Usually it's road biking or it's, we've done gravel camps kind of harder to piece together that many days of gravel, even though I know it's there. I just got to find someone who's willing to do that for me. I mean, I do gravel camps out of Nevada city where I live now because we have tons of gravel. I mean, that's why it was so easy for me to transition from racing to gravel. And we do like food, wine, gravel camps here. Um, I've done them in you know Southern California. So it's easy to find the places that you want to do them. And then the execution is the hard part because there's a lot of logistics involved you know, we try to make it as, as simple for the person, the camper. And then, you know, we take the brunt of the work. We're taking people on these rides, guiding them, you know, making sure they don't get lost, stopping at little cafes, coffee shops all over, and just like living the experience.
0: Sure. They want to go on a beautiful long bike ride and expend a million calories so they can eat and drink guilt-free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of we being, ride to
1: eat for sure. <laughs> yeah.
0: And instead of being on a cruise ship where you just kind of sit around and wait in a pool and whatever, they want a, an adventure camp. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, ima- I couldn't imagine like taking a trip like that. That's not my style trip, you know. I want to be moving, doing, seeing, eating, drinking, and so yeah. Adventure camp is the way way I try to explain it, you know. But it's like, you know, it's also kind of a cush adventure camp. I haven't done like a camping where we we actually have tents and stuff yet. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that because I'm not sure how, how I'd work in the food and wine. But you know, for right now. I, like the setup we have, we usually stay, like I said, at a chateau or we figure out a nice hotel and then kind of be based out of there. And that's what we've done for Mallorca. You know, we are looking at doing a Mallorca trip again in late September, fall this year. We're putting together those logistics right now. And then I've already had people like, I've had 20 people reach out to me and say, they want to go to the tour again next year. People are ready to travel. They're ready to go see. Sign me up. Yeah, exactly. All right, Alison, you're, you're going. Yeah. You'd be surprised. You kind of got to, you do have to like plan this out. It, it takes a little bit of planning, but it's, it's so worth it. People are okay with that, right? They're going to pay for the experience and yeah.
0: you're doing all the legwork. You're making it so that they can stay in these great chateaus and have these places yeah. to eat and all that. You just show up with your bike and, and be with like-minded people. So that's the community building part of sports and adventures like this. Mm-hmm. That's really definitely well, so um, fun. Yeah. That's just, that's just insane. I I love it. How you've, it's, I mean, so full circle. Yeah. All your passions, your cycling, your sports, your food, your wine.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine doing it any other way. I mean, I, you know, it's funny because like when I retired, I was like, what job am I going to do? You know, like where, what am I going to go do? I mean, I have, I have skills. Like I went to, you know, I have degree, you know, all that good stuff, but it's like finding something that I was interested in is more important than just like going and to an office every day and just like sitting there and wondering why am I doing this? Right.
0: Right. you didn't want a job, you wanted your passion.
1: Yeah. And I feel very fortunate. And now, I mean, I've kind of transitioned even more. So I'm a general manager at sweat studio, which is this all encompassing fitness studio that we have hot Pilates and hot yoga and sculpting classes in a hot room. And then we have like a cycling studio that is totally up my alley. Cause we're using power-based training we're teaching people how to build their aerobic system step by step, the way I would coach it if I was coaching someone from afar. We've got the studio; we're doing circuit training. So, like, I feel very lucky because I'm in a job where I'm active again. You know, it's not like I'm just like sitting on a computer. I get to coach people every day, multiple people asking for help and trying to get the best out of them, and they're finding that, you know, if they put in the hard work, you see results, and that's so fun. It's really, that that motivates me big time.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. What else can you share to help encourage riders or athletes? Yeah. I mean, first, I think it's just getting out and having the, um, I guess the ability or the drive to just try something, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. I always say research it a little bit, you know, it's like, don't just go into a bike shop and buy the first bike, like do the due diligence, ask the questions, find a coach, do a little research to find people that can help you take the path, the most direct path, because there's a lot of like misinformation out there. I think, you know, it's like, you can go down a rabbit hole and read a bunch of stuff, but really do your homework and research the sport, research like what you need and then find somebody, find a mentor or find someone who is willing to help. Before I became a coach, I feel like I had a lot of great mentors, you know, through the sport, through racing, through people who are just willing to help and tell me like, Don't do this or do this. Like use this type of tire. Don't use this type of tire. Like just tips. Find a community that is willing to help you. Find a bike shop, a local bike shop that wants to like make you their person that you'll come in and ask questions or go on the local group ride or you know, find somebody that can kind of be your guide through it. I think that's my biggest piece of advice because it's hard to do it alone.
0: (laughs) Right. You know, we all love having a mentor and being a mentor is important too.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. I've coached a lot of younger you know, juniors. I've coached uh, U23 riders. And I find like, so that's sometimes the most gratifying, right? I mean, I love coaching masters. I love all that. But it's like finding the young ones that are really like, they've got a lot of drive. They want to be a sponge for the sport or just to learn. And that's like, it's pretty joyful. It's great. That's the fun part passing it on.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah.
0: How can people track you down? How can they find Rofa Endurance? How can they maybe go on one of these trips?
1: Yeah, I have a website. It's uh, it's, so it's rofaendurance.com. So it's R-O-F-A endurance.com. That's my website. I have an Instagram. I have a Facebook page. So it's pretty, pretty easy to find me if you're looking for me. My name is Robin Farina. So it's like, you could just probably Google that. It'll take you to my my website. But yeah, I mean I'm I love meeting new people. I love answering questions for people. So if you have any, you want to reach out, that's an easy way to find me.
0: Robin Farina has transformed her cycling career and love of sports into full-time endurance coaching. Her enthusiasm for helping others achieve their goals motivates her to keep raising the bar in the coaching industry. Robin's training methods focus on a healthy work-life balance because that is how we'll stick with a plan. And Robin's bike travel, food, wine camps sound amazing and are yet another way she has feathered her passion of cycling into part of her business. And that is empowering. Music for this podcast is created and produced by Gary Ferguson. creative consultants Tony Ferguson and Quinn Ferguson you can find a library of episodes and other information on the web at empoweringwomenthroughsports.com we're on Instagram too at EWTS pod or find us on your favorite listening platform like Apple podcast or Spotify if you hear an inspiring episode share it with your friends and let's grow our community of empowering women through sports